Hey, South. I don't even know how to say my name. This is Ash from All Things Dentistry, the place where we're passionate about sharing those unwritten hints and tips in dentistry. Um, we're going to talk about a couple cases today and a resection, uh, another retreat, a bunch of retreats. And um, yeah, so calcium hydroxide. Uh, I already recorded this, but it uh, epically failed because I had my Bluetooth on. So I'm usually I'm driving when I have time now. I'm driving um, back and forth to a couple places, about an hour and a half. And um, normally I take my Bluetooth off and just talk into my phone just like a, like a microphone. But I forgot. So I just ripped through 15 minutes of nonsense. So hopefully we're not going to do that this time. So this afternoon, just as I stepped out of the clinic, we uh, completed a, a, a resection of a distal buccal root on a tooth. Now, kind of the, um, you know, we're at, odds, at the odds end of saving this tooth, but, you know, the options were to extract, and the patient wanted to save this tooth as much as possible, so we elected to do that. He had a patient, he had an implant placed in tooth number 17, so he'd been there for a while, and over time, what had happened was just a, a lot of food impaction had slowly resorbed the crest between the two teeth. It was actually quite remarkable. The patient was asymptomatic and he had a, a tooth number one six, so maxillary first right molar, had been previously treated endodontically, but the endo, I mean, it was pretty weak, meaning there was like a one piece, one stick of got a percha down the palatal canal that was totally not fit and a pigtail in the mesial buckle and then a little shot of something in the distal buckle so we elected to retreat place calcium hydroxide through a couple cycles and then patient was um, asymptomatic but the bone loss uh, was getting fairly problematic so what we elected to do was cycle some calcium hydroxide, like I said, and then we finished the endo, and then finally we were able to resect the distal buccal root today. And so, you know, I mean, the, the it's kind of like, did we need to? I don't know. It was because the the distal buccal root is actually blocked, so you couldn't even you couldn't even get down it anyways, and really wanted to clean up the periodontal health in that distal tissue. I mean, it was just not good. Um, so after the endo initially, we placed a five surface um, cuspal coverage amalgam, closed up the, and it was deep too, this amalgam, like deep on the distal buckle, on the distal. So we closed up the contact. Tissues looked great today when we got in there. Um, so we resected the, resected the root, went just straight forward, and then that's it, placed some sutures and it turned out actually really good. There was no mobility on this tooth. So I think we're going to have success. We'll have to watch. We'll get them back in a week. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I've been talking about or thinking about is calcium hydroxide powder. Now, I am absolutely unfamiliar with calcium hydroxide powder until I read this article by one of my mentors from years ago who published an article talking about 290 plus cases placing calcium hydroxide plus powder calcium hydroxide in the chamber. So these are cases, necrotic cases with large lesions. They place calcium hydroxide, place a definitive restoration, and then wait for healing. And 90% of the time it healed. It blew my mind. Like reading that article just blew my mind. Because what I was trained was literally, oh, you have to see them back every 
two weeks to two weeks to a month to refresh the calcium hydroxide if you're going to leave it for an extended period of time. So I never, ever, ever even thought to place a final composite or a, not final, but definitive restoration that would last until that lesion had healed. And it really came to pass. Uh, I've been doing it in these past few cases. Now I have some powder calcium hydroxide. So we'll place regular UltraCal excess or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Calcium hydroxide down to the apical third. Then place powder calcium hydroxide in pulp chamber and then the definitive restoration. So it really came to, to play a factor um, last week <clears throat> when, actually this past week, I had a patient that we'd removed the thermophils. He had a large cast post at 2 number 3.6. I didn't have patency in three of the two, two of the three canals. And uh, we placed calcium hydroxide and it had been since June. And he, we kind of lost touch. We've been refreshing at once a month. Really nice guy. No anesthetic need for a refresh. So we go in there 10 minutes later, we were done. And I saw him, I think last week sometime and the apical third, these large lesions on both roots had healed. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But then there was a frication lesion. I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck? So really what had happened was he complained that his provisional restoration, the uh, resin modified glass or triage, he's like, oh, it's getting lower. And I mean, that's normal to expect that it wears away. But I mean, what happened was he actually, over time, impacted it into the pulp chamber. So it had, had tons of leakage. Actually, there was tons of food in the pulp chamber. The, re, the restoration was still there, but there was just food everywhere, like packed down like food. It was like, looked like decay, but it wasn't. And then there was down into the canals in the orifices anyways. But at the apical third of all the orifices, there was still fresh, not fresh, but it was still calcium hydroxide. Like the food had an impact all the way down. And it didn't affect the healing of those lesions. So I was like, wow, this is crazy. So we cleaned everything out, removed all the calcium hydroxide. And I, you know, it really stands to show that bacteria the problem or viruses or whatever. We removed the, place, replaced calcium hydroxide, placed powder calcium hydroxide in the pulp chamber, and then a definitive amalgam on top. And then we'll see him back in a month or two. And, you know, so I've been doing this now routinely with lesions of endodontic origin. And even retreatments. It doesn't, the, the article, they left out retreatments. I'm going to do retreatments as well. Um, so I've done that with a few cases now. Like even a 12-year-old boy, I did a retreat. They missed the mesial buccal canal. Um, but, the, you know, it was, they had kind of like an apexogenesis or actually it was an apexification of tooth number one, six on the distal buckle and the palatal root because there was no patency. It was just like a blocked. Um, but the mesial buckle had this large lesion. So we removed all the gutta percha, placed the calcium hydroxide and the powder calcium hydroxide. So we'll let that go until we get healing in that. So it's actually a remarkable way of treating these types of cases. So I'm super grateful to be able to do that. And then... So that's uh, my story with calcium hydroxide in this last case, actually, which really, again, shows me how useful it is to learn the slob rule, single, same side lingual opposite side buckle, but it's taken so many years to finally get comfortable with actually taking the x-ray. That is the problem. It's not about knowing it. It's really about how to get that x-ray. So this patient presented with tooth number four, six, it was really remarkable. He had this root canal started when he was like, it was 20 years ago. It was finished. 
they broke a file off in the MB canal. But when you, his symptoms were in the last two days, a lot of pain to hot, cold, biting, and then waking pain. It'd been asymptomatic for years. There were no lesion of endodontic origin, nothing. No, no widening of the PDL, nothing. And when you take a look at the PA, the rate of the root canal looks perfect. It's like within a millimeter of the radiographic apex, solid fills, like, man, that's a great endo. But if you take a shift shot, you can faintly see a distal buccal canal that's missed, which is fairly common. I mean, it's 20 years ago, so they weren't using a microscope, certainly. So what we did was we elected to treat. So we removed all the gutta percha and sure enough found that distal buccal canal. And then what's really interesting is that when you t- we placed calcium hydroxide, just because I wanted to make sure we had all the symptoms solved. If you, if you look at the post-operative calcium hydroxide radiograph, you can actually see the little 10 file broken in the mesobuccal canal right at the apex. And it again reaffirms to me what the literature supports is that broken files do not affect the outcomes. If there is a lesion of anodontic origin, it will affect the outcome. Uh, but certainly in vital cases, because the case was vital uh, at initial uh, therapy, I mean, we're getting success rates of 90, 94%. So there's no need to fret if you break a file in a vital case at all. Fret if it's necrotic, fret if there's a lesion. But um, so anyways, I call, I emailed him the next day and uh, his pain was resolved. He can eat Halloween candy because that's what time we're at. We're just a few days away from Halloween. So that was, you know, it's really, it's actually fairly, it was a very fulfilling week. Uh, I'm super grateful for this opportunity to share this with you. And I'm grateful that you guys made it to the end of this podcast episode. Anyways, stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, we'll talk to you soon.